0: Hey, Chris and Andrew. Welcome back, guys. What's going on? Uh, nothing, Andrew. I always feel so bad because we did like 61 episodes of just me and Chris. So I'm always so used to just saying, Sup, Chris. And then Chris and I banter for like a minute and then you come in. So stop me from doing that in the future. Uh, it doesn't bother me. It's a nice way to kind of get into it cool uh what's going on what's going on i went to a an emo concert last night
1: oh nice what yeah. uh, was that one of those ones that goes around different towns and stuff cuz we did a emo night not too long ago um up at fiance's cousins and that was that was a lot of fun but it, it wasn't really like a lot of emo music it was just like stuff people liked and a few of it was mm. <laughs> So
0: this was uh, straight up Hawthorne Heights. I don't know if you ever listened to them. Uh, They had like really popular emo song in 2004. Uh, They were doing, last year they started a 15-year anniversary tour of that record. Uh, And one of my other favorite bands, Emery, also played with them. So I was like, yeah, why not? And so I felt like I was... Uh, 15 years ago. I feel like I was 15. It was, it was spectacular. When you said
1: 2004, I was like, oh, that was like six years ago. That was not six years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh well, boy. Um, it was a hot minute. It was a lot of fun. Like I literally, that was a really defining time in my life. And music was a very defining thing in my life. like, plus when I watched those bands like 15 years ago, I couldn't drink. And so like, Last night, I was just sitting there, like, drinking, listening to music that, like, defined me, and smiling. And it was, like, a very – I've been in a really bad state. It was a very good thing. So, yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's what's <laughs> new in my life. Other than that, my wife is on a spree where she wants to redo the house as cheaply as possible. So if you hear hammering, it's because she's laying oh, nice. floor in her kitchen.
1: That's, that's pretty good fun, so. I need to uh, do a few projects around the house but uh, yeah you know it's hard to find the time sometimes uh, Andrew what's new with you I am
2: doing a lot of things I don't know there's I'm getting into a lot of areas at CodeFund that I never have had experience with I guess and because of that I'm learning a ton uh, but It's just, uh, I'm, I haven't felt like this behind, I guess,
0: in a, in a while. What, uh, what kind of new things are you learning? Well, we had to get very,
2: very intimate with our database stuff recently because, uh, we installed, when I say we, um, Eric is the other co-founder at CodeFund with Nate and, we're integrating with some product. I'm not really sure. I can't remember why we were doing this, but uh, we basically installed something called Hasura, which is an instant real-time GraphQL engine. And there's something that Eric needs to use it for. Um, but when we did that, what it does is it basically creates another schema in your database, which is... What Nate said was good practice, but because that happened, we all of a sudden our uh, restores, like our dumps and our restores from production just completely borked and went total foobar. And Nate and I went pretty, pretty deep into the internals of Postgres to kind of figure out figure out why that was happening. And I've never really, I think I said this recently, I've never really had to do, much with the database because I've always just used active record and I've never really had to configure the database so that was new uh started writing uh we have we use metabase for kind of our business intelligence reporting and shout out metabase metabase <laughs> rule i it, it's pretty cool uh i don't know sql though off the top of my head like i can kind of figure it out but that Nate is a wizard at it and, but we have to do some pretty complex things to achieve some stuff we want to do. So Nate and I went on a little tour with that. And what was also something interesting with Metabase is that we have this, we've, we've come to this instance where we have a lot of, and in Metabase they're called questions, but they're basically like, this is a query you execute uh, to get a certain piece of data back. And then you can put those on a dashboard or just uh, view it raw. And we got to the point where some, we have Metabase dashboards embedded in the app, because as you can imagine, it's a lot faster because Metabase is hitting our replica and that's not slowing down the actual app. And these are some pretty intense queries. So we've embedded some dashboards from Metabase into the app. And we got to the point where we didn't really know, you know, what's, what question is tied to what dashboard and if we change like this question like instead of accepting a date filter we just take in a start and an end date we had no idea what that was going to break for the other dashboards and there's not like an easy way to figure that out so Nate had this really clever idea of basically pointing Metabase at its own database and then we figured out the schema and have figured out how to query Metabase against itself to figure out What questions are in what dashboards, which was
0: pretty interesting. That sounds like the movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Wait, was he in that movie? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Was he? Yeah, he definitely was. I love that movie. I, yeah. I know for sure.
0: <laughs> I, okay, yeah. He's an amazing I movie. No question myself. No, he's definitely in it. So, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Metabase is this open source tool, and Andrew did a pretty good job of kind of describing it. But uh, you can build dashboards off of like raw SQL, or like you can ask questions and it, like, connects to your database and like gives you the fields so you can build like charts and all kinds of really really cool things uh we use it at podia and like in we also have it set up on a replica so we don't accidentally like write some destructive SQL against it but it rules because anytime like i have a question i want to ask like i don't have to like heroku run rails console app you know whatever i actually i'm just like oh open this up do some SQL, get some results it rules and i think it's open source and they it have an is. enterprise edition yeah shout out metabase yeah and we also
2: we do it against a replica too and like you said the benefit is that you can easily ask a quick question using raw sql and not have to go into your rails console and the downside is if you don't really know sql that well because you've been basically only interacting with active record your entire professional career then <laughs> there's some problems
0: Well, it's a really good way, I guess, to learn SQL, though, because you get to ask questions against a database that you already know. So, I don't know. The other thing I did, or I've been
2: getting into, is we want to add some API endpoints into the app. And I've never had to do that either. But I've read tons and tons of articles about it. But Nate is very, very opinionated about how to implement that and he's not down for the whole API slash D1 controller path. So that's been a, an interesting exploration as well. That's cool. Chris, what's new with you?
1: Oh, man. Uh, I've been adding multi-tenancy to Jumpstart Pro or experimenting with how that'll go. It's uh, an interesting one a little bit and that it'll kind of have to be... I think it'll have to be optional. Um, you know, it's possible you could probably you know build the app so that it's multi-tenant, but there's only one tenant, um, and that would probably work just fine. But uh, yeah, just exploring that and seeing how I want to do that because it needs to be generic enough for people to to customize it and you know build whatever they want out of it. Um, and for the most part, I think we're going to use the like, Citus data. Um, Active Record plugin for it, which is based off of Access Tenant, and it can actually use the Citus database um, stuff, which is kind of nice. Um, but those basically operate by setting a default scope, which is kind of uh, nifty because you know everybody loves to say don't ever use a default scope, but if you do do that, um, then you can all always by default uh, you know, filter your stuff in, um, the tenant, which is nice. And then they also have another thing that inside of that scope, if you don't have a tenant set, it will throw an exception and say, you know, Hey, you need to switch to a tenant first, which is kind of nice. If you're really trying to make sure all your queries are set up correctly, um, works well. So exploring that and seeing how it'll work for people, um, uh, there was something like, I think six or eight people all at once last week messaged me on or on the forums on GoRails and stuff asking about how to use Uppy with uh, active storage. So a file upload, drag and drop interface. Um, so I worked on that too and I have a screencast coming out Monday. A uh, ton of people seem to be interested in that all of a sudden, which I don't I don't know why all of a sudden that was so popular but it is. So I got that working and it, it works pretty well. You just like set a plugin for Uppy and it will all uh, of your uploads upload to uh the Rails direct upload path or whatever. And then you can upload files from Dropbox or Google Drive and all that into your active storage stuff. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's I think that's why it's popular for drag and drop, like jQuery file upload and um, drop zone. And I think you mentioned file pond or file pond. Yeah. That's what
0: you use at the big, uh, the big podium.
1: Yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't even heard of that one, but there's quite a few libraries for file uploading, like drag and drop interface stuff. Um, But Uppy was kind of the one that I think the shrine author recommended first that when i heard of it and transload it made it so it's pretty good and yeah it, i mean it's neat and you can customize it pretty well and it's not too hard to set up um but there is like a, somebody built a plugin for it like a javascript module and uh i forked that and updated a little bit the dependencies and instructions and things um and fixed i think i fixed a bug in it because there was like if you cancel an upload or something, it was it would break. Um, so yeah, that was kind of cool. Um, only other thing I've really been doing is set up AWS Cloud Nine for the first time ever because uh, someone requested that. And that's a kind of a strange environment to work in, but I guess it's useful if you need some remote environment to do development in. It's kind of cool,
0: but it used, it used to not be uh i I once bought a chromebook because i thought i was gonna be all hip and like programming the chromebook took it back the same weekend but uh like i used cloud nine and it was pretty like seamless but i tried to use it because i gave a little like mini workshop at uh just like a meetup up here the other day for like intro to ruby on rails and it was like i was thinking like i had to fire up like an ec2 instance or something like that in order to get cloud nine to run and i was like "Mm, no i'm good so (laughs) uh were you setting that up for a screencast or just somebody was was yeah i was doing
1: it because someone was asking about it and then i was like well i might as well just record a screencast and have that too so kind of It's kind of nice to be able to turn your support requests into a repeatable thing to share with other people. So, yeah, ended up being a couple hours doing that.
0: What else is new? Uh, No Southeast Ruby this year. We kind of talked about that before the show, but I was thinking about... I don't know if I talked about this on the show. I was trying to bring it to Memphis this year, and I am unconvinced that I could get the same number of people to come to Memphis. But I am convinced the people that came to Memphis would have just the most fantastic time. But I said, you know what, we'll just do it national again. And so I called I was actually looking at the Ruby venue. We were at the first year and was trying to, like, think of ways to make parking not suck and stuff like that. And I got a quote from them. And I could talk to Ernie Miller, who was a co-organizer co- yesterday, maybe the day before yesterday. Yeah, and he was like, we were on the phone and he goes, have you thought about skipping a year? And I was like, not really. And he was like, you just sound so burned out. And I was like, yeah, I guess I do sound that way because I guess I am really burned out. Uh, so then I was like trying to, like work around it and still put it on and finally realized Ernie was giving some pretty sage advice. And so I think we're, well, I don't think we are going to take this year off and come back next year. So I'm sad and a bit relieved.
1: Yeah, that's good. I, I haven't helped, you know, organize a conference before, but I can imagine, especially you're organizing a conference in a different Town for the past couple of years. You know, that's got to be an extra, you know, level of stress for it. But even just getting all of those details together is just a nightmare. I'm like doing wedding planning now. And yeah, it's the same thing. Just like going to meet with all these people and figure out, you know, who's going to do catering and what it'll cost and compare all of them. And oh my God, it is a lot of work. So, you know, I don't blame you. And we've had so much fun in the last few years that, you know, uh, we will be excited when it comes back. And uh, yeah.
0: I'll, t- I'll tell you what I am tossing around. I don't know if I'll do it. And I probably shouldn't talk about it, but who cares? Does anyone listen to this anyway? Uh, I am thinking about putting on a one day online conference. And trying to
1: like the og remote ruby
0: so the og remote ruby except with like actual speakers other than you one time and me the rest of the time <laughs> um That's cool though yeah so like i know i know it's been done before and i don't know how it went um but i just i have some ideas for it like Laravel, uh, does Laracon online. It's like Laricon.net or something. Uh, now granted they get like Taylor, the creator of the framework, a bunch of people like that, but it's like 12 bucks early bird and you get like digital swag. So like people sponsor and like give you like credits and stuff to their services.
1: Like a picture of a t-shirt.
0: <laughs> yeah and then you print it out and you just like staple it onto a white t-shirt Yeah, you have, to, um, you have
1: to like print it out and then cut it out so you can like wear it in the live stream <laughs> <Yeah>. right
0: <laughs> so i'm tossing that idea around because that would be like that's still organizing a conference somewhere on but it's it's less risk and it's less moving parts would they, would um, they, it, it's, would
1: they have like a like a Slack channel or something that people would. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's cool too. Yeah. That viewing party. So Wisconsin, Netherlands, India, UK. That's cool. I like that. Just having like you know anybody local that wants to come hang out can do that and watch live.
0: Yeah, it's a really cool. note. like, don't be wrong. Like they like bigger names in layer, They'll put that on. So like. I'm not expecting that I, lowly Jason, could just, like, put together this huge thing where people put together viewing parties. But I do think that we could put together something that people who can't afford to go to conferences, like, you know, they can watch the videos online, but we could maybe give them, like eight hours in a Slack channel with other people while talks are happening. I don't know. I think it's a really cool idea and I want to adopt that idea.
1: And you could get, you could get like speakers anywhere, you know?
0: Yeah. If, if, uh, really we just need speakers who are willing to prepare a talk and sit at their desk. Uh, that is, I don't, I don't know how many people will be willing to do that, honestly, but, you know, I think it would be. I think it'd be cool, and I want to try it. And that's what I was talking about with Ernie. And it wouldn't be like Southeast Ruby Online or anything like that. But yeah, so that's what I'm tossing around right now.
1: I know that programmers likes it in front of their computer. So you just need ones who will go the extra mile and record a talk.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I'm, if I'm not mistaken, maybe that's not the case. I'm pretty sure the Laracon people like they do it live. Uh, I'm pretty sure I did, I watched it a few years ago, and like Ian Landsman hosted it and would like MC it from his computer, and then when it was time to go to a talk. He would like change the stream over to like Steve Shoger's computer. If I'm not mistaken, he may have had the talks recorded, but
1: yeah. That's cool. It's interesting. Um, Yeah, you can probably switch off the live stream somehow between people. Not real sure, but yeah, that seems pretty, you know, it's a great way to be able to do something. And if it's a day, you know, you don't have to worry about venues or catering or anything. You just have to do a live stream. So whatever logistics are for that, hopefully are easier than all the rest of it. And it shouldn't cost anything because you can just stream live on, YouTube, Twitch, whatever.
0: Yeah, it's affordable. Like I can, the costs are low, so I can offset like that. those costs are also offset to the uh, attendees versus, you know, we we have to charge a pretty penny for Southeast Ruby and we're still pretty cheap for a conference. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see if, if I'm going to do it. I need to start planning it, but. I'm glad to know at least two people are interested. So
1: yeah, we'll have to let you know. Anybody that's interested should, well, not tweet at you, but email you or something.
0: <laughs> you can you can tweet at Remote Ruby. I check that one.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that that any feedback we can get on that, you should share it in the GoRail Slack too, and see what people think. If uh, maybe someone in there wants to give a talk too, you know? Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah, that'd be cool. So well
2: if you decide to do it and want any help i am down to pitch in however you may
0: need
1: cool very cool yeah sam it's much easier to pitch in on something like that
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and i feel like it's you know pretty low risk for sponsors too (laughs) like i don't know it seems like i don't think it's easy per se. I think it's a I still think it's quite a bit of of legwork and like organization, but it's just a different type and
1: Yeah. I wonder if you can use like pipe zoom or something through uh you know OBS or something to stream. So you can like have your private group of speakers and switch between their screens and stuff. Um Ooh, you know yeah. something like that to maybe make that whole process easier. So that's maybe something like that.
2: You can do that with Zoom. There's a way to basically. Uh, I'm trying to think of like the, I'm trying to think of how to word this, but I've been on Zoom calls before where there was a group of people who were able to present and everyone else was basically, it was basically like a big conference call. So they do have some mechanism to do that where you have people who are allowed to talk and share their screen and everyone else is just in there as like a viewer very cool
0: yeah I'll need to check that out that sounds we use Zoom a lot at work so I'll just look into it but uh I don't really have much other Ruby stuff um I, I've, I used a Postgres array type today that was a woohoo um oh I've been Experimenting with doing some stripe stuff, like multi plan stuff. Uh, So, you know, like a subscription with multiple subscription items. And that's a different mindset for me. So, that's fun.
1: Yeah, I don't think I've done too much with that. I have been some people asking for, you know, stuff on additions to pay to support quantities and whatever else. And, um, right now just the base subscription stuff is there uh, and it very likely will go the same way Laravel Cashier did where payments end up just dropping BrainTree support because it's too complicated <laughs> so yeah uh,
0: s- sweet god thank I you for saying it's that
1: it's so nice to be able to use it for PayPal for basic things instead you know so i want to want to kind of keep doing that but maybe that's all we support in braintree is basic subscriptions. Cause you just don't have a, well, I mean, most of theirs is just like, well, you can do it. Just calculate it yourself and let us know what we should charge just fine. But most people don't actually want to build that. Uh, and I don't want to build that. So <laughs> we shall see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's been it's been different because my mind has always been very like a subscription has a plan and that's it and that's the way the world works and uh, if you don't do it that way then you're wrong uh, which is not
1: actually and we don't feel, want your money
0: yeah <laughs> yeah send it back take it back uh, it's I don't know it's pretty cool it's I'm still wrapping my head around it, uh, and having to like update some APIs around it. But it's—I don't know—it's—it's it's one of those things where like once you kind of get it with Stripe, you're like, okay, this is good. And after my experience with SCA, I was like, this is this is a redeeming quality. I'll I'll take this. So, but that's about all the Ruby stuff I've got. I haven't done anything new or fancy or uh, exciting, nothing that <laughs> is cool.
2: I got two things. If you guys don't have any, if you're willing to listen to my, my terrible it. stories, let's go. let's go. Uh, so number one, uh, last night I wrote a quick gem called pruner to basically help you like quickly, easily delete branches on, in a Git repo. And I was thinking about this while I was writing it because there's not really any great guides for writing gems and I'm never quite sure if I'm architecting it the best way. So my question to both of you and Chris, feel free to take this idea FYI for a screencast. But my question to both of you is in your, like if you're, For example, this gem's name is Pruner, and if you've ever worked with a gem, the file structure is lib, and then it usually has a folder with the name of the gem, and then it has a Ruby file and the base of lib with the name of the gem. And I've seen a lot of people do a lot of different things here, but do you guys, if you have experience with writing gems, do you guys typically put like the start commands in that file? Or like, I'm just not sure like the best way to kind of kick it off because I've definitely seen a lot of people do it different ways. Like either just having it kick off from like the EXE or like you basically, the EXE just kicks off this uh, the main file in your lib folder. I just, I don't know.
1: Um, If you look at the Rails, like bin Rails file. That might be a good example, like because the gem you're building is like an ex- executable, right? Like, yeah, you're running a command. You're not requiring a library necessarily. Um, so, like Rails will just require your environment and your application and stuff, and then it just requires Rails slash commands, and that's it. And then it kicks off just that require starts running the rails stuff so you could probably look into rails slash commands in the git repo for that and see how it works and then you know any other gem like annotate or whatever other gems you might find that have an executable like that might be a good example um to look at because yeah in, in general like you probably want Maybe a file that you can organize the CLI into a class and have all the option parsing in there or whatever, and then have a run method. So maybe when you require the file by default, it'll just like run it and that's it. Um, you know, there's uh, there's also the like Ruby main um thing where you can like see, I think it's main uh where you can basically see was this uh ruby file run by the interpreter or whatever or is it file i can't remember um but basically that's like code that will run if the ruby interpreter started on that file or something so you can do various things like that where you can have it like uh, if you require this file it wouldn't run automatically but then if you ran it ruby and the file name then it would actually you know launch the process so that could be another option that would work well
2: interesting real quick while since you mentioned rails i just want to go ahead and mention that uh there's a email newsletter called this week in rails and i did the last one so if you have never looked at this week in rails you should check it out because now i'm going to be Doing some of them and helping them edit.
1: Hey, that's awesome. I know I read it, but I didn't realize it was yours.
2: Yeah, yeah it was me this time. Cool. That's awesome. That's cool. It explains the drop in
0: quality for anyone out there listening. <laughs> Is it the Rails Weekly on Good Bits? Yes. All right. I'll link to that. That's cool.
2: Yeah, it was fun. It was. I messaged someone on Twitter uh, who had edited the one before me. And just mentioned that I really liked uh, I really liked that they were doing it. I thought it was cool. And I just wanted to tell them that, you know, a lot of people, you know, we work on open source and we do like these side projects and do things for the betterment of the community. And it's nice to kind of just reach out to someone and say, hey, like, I appreciate what you're doing. Like, I found this helpful or I like this. And I did that. I'm trying to get into a better habit of doing that a little bit more with people in the community and just, you know, dropping them a quick line or even creating like an issue that's just like this isn't a bug or a, a feature. I just wanted to say thank you for this library and your maintenance on it. So
1: it's really good I've been to trying to do. to do that. Yeah. I need to do more of that. Um and I'd like to get back into contributing to Rails itself more and that sort of thing. I have a lot of fun doing that. And it's it's the stuff that makes the community go around and what makes Ruby so good. People just giving back for fun absolutely for free.
2: Yeah, so I I thanked someone on Twitter for that, and they were like, "Well, if you're interested in helping us, um, we we you, we have some space for like another editor, and like maybe you can help us write some of the some of the issues." And I was like, "Sure." And the next thing I knew, I had a invite to Basecamp with you know the likes of DHH and Aaron Patterson and all the Rails core team. And so that was pretty,
0: pretty cool.
1: That's awesome. It was really cool.
0: Uh, th- <clears throat> what you just said, Chris, about like, you know, those are things that make Ruby good. Uh, for someone who's on Twitter, I sure have references to a lot of tweets. Uh, Nate Berkepeck tweeted, and I thought this was a, a good tweet. Part of the reason I continue to invest in Ruby is that no one ever says I stopped using Ruby because it wasn't very productive slash expressive slash fun. No one is switching to insert main language of the moment here because it's more of one of those things. I thought that was pretty interesting. Pretty good little...
1: Yeah, it's like I've said something similar in the past. Like, you know, in the future, computers will understand humans better. So if you are choosing a language because it's faster the computer can run it and better or faster you know it's like it's a temporary thing it's not going to be that way forever so you know and the things like ruby will continue to dominate in the long term and we'll just see it's the same reason why nobody nobody really writes assembly unless they have to anymore you know we'll see more people writing these high level languages and you're seeing a lot of people talk about no code stuff but uh, no code is still a bit limiting because you're required to use whatever is implemented already for you so those will probably continue to grow but I think you know when it becomes as easy as saying what you want then it's not going to be too hard to, to code and your languages will look very much like Ruby in the future
0: I've been surprised I've gotten a couple of emails and, like, I don't get, like, a ton of emails just, like, from my website, but I wrote an article last year called Using Ruby in 2019, and I had several people ask me to, like, update it for 2020, and I was like, well, I still kind of feel the same way, and, like, in the emails, I'll respond to be like, I'm not going to rewrite the post, but here are the things, like, that I, I feel that are new or still feel from last year. Um, I don't know, it's just cool that people are still vibing off that, so...
1: Yeah, you should uh you should do a new post that's like, you know, how I feel about Ruby in 2020 and it's just like C
0: 2019. <laughs> uh yeah, and that is just like incredibly depressing and <laughs> negative.
1: I think it's just a copy paste of last year. <laughs> <laughs> just you know,
0: find all 2019. <laughs> yeah.
1: Or just leave some old 2019s in there just to to emphasize your point.
0: (laughs) Uh, On that tweet before we move on, the first comment, though, is is from one of my friends, uh, Devin. And he actually is writing all Elixir now. And he was like, "Uh, I actually did stop writing Ruby and all of OO because I didn't find uh, fixing nil immutability bugs fun. And I find functions and usable data way more fun. And I was like, that's like, I don't know. That's fair too. It was, it had me really torn inside, but I still very much like Ruby right now. I just always keep talking about wanting to try something else, but alas, here we are.
1: Yeah. You can, you can write your code in a similar style in Ruby too. So it's, comes down to how you, I mean, I guess it's, People probably find it helpful you're forced into that approach in their language, but you know you can always do that sort of thing similarly in in Ruby if you want
2: yeah, one thing I'll say is, as a recent graduate, the fact that they basically made us start out learning Java, I think is the main reason a lot of people don't actually end up finishing their computer science degrees because if they had given me Ruby or some other language that wasn't as terrible as writing Java. I don't think like I hated writing Java and I was like, I can't do this as a career. I hate doing this and I would never do this. And I even briefly considered like, you know, maybe there's something else like I can do, or I briefly got really interested in doing virtual reality, but I'm glad I stuck with it because once I found Ruby, I was like, okay, this is it. This is, I like development because I like writing Ruby and I I'm good at it but like writing java it's just it it sucks that like we have all these people who come into college or boot camp well I guess boot camps teach you actually things that you're going to use on the job for the most part but for graduates going or people going into college for computer science and then they sit down and they're like okay yeah you're gonna learn java it's just it's hard and it's not rewarding and I think that's leads to a lot of people who end up dropping out of that degree path.
1: Yeah. I hear you on that. Like I was programming for fun before college and doing a lot of Python. And that was a blast. I loved it. Um, But then you get into C and Java and .NET stuff. And it's a whole different way of thinking. And it's not near as fun for me as python or ruby is so that's if if you like that kind of style that's great you know i don't think it's it fits everyone so it's probably the same thing as you know reading fiction and nonfiction and so on everybody's got different approaches they like better so i don't know i, th- I think it's just for me i want to get my thoughts out of my head and into software as quickly as possible and the way i can do that best is with a scripting language i think that
0: kind of hits the nail on the head uh, like for so long i wanted for so long i was a very like arrogant i mean i guess i'm still arrogant i'm working on that but i was a very arrogant like new programmer and i didn't understand why everybody just didn't write ruby right like it was the godsend to me it was like the one chosen language um and then as i got more mature like there's a lot of different tools that solve a lot of different problems and a lot of people like we talk about using ruby because we can like a lot of people just use other languages because they can and that's how like like you said like the easiest way for you to get thoughts out of your head is with a scripting language like ruby and like for some people that's another language and i've learned to like respect that and empathize with that and like that is a very peaceful freeing thing
1: Yeah, I hear you. There's a lot of, I mean, depending on what you're building to, you know, there's probably a lot of things that if they're very strict requirements or something, then you can be a lot more strict in a typed language or something. So you're less likely to make mistakes or whatever. Um, Whereas like Ruby and Python are great because you can go change them very quickly. And that maybe lends itself to solving problems, you know, building websites and iterating fast that are more useful to us. Cause we're not building you know, financial software or something, whatever it is, you know, it just seems like, uh, this fits our you know, programming environment really well. And I like doing it.
0: I was just going to say, like, it's just also, there's so many libraries in Ruby, like, oh, it just makes it so hard to leave because it feels like it's all been done. On that note, I tried Sorbet
2: the other day. We talked about it a little bit last week, uh, but I tried Sorbet and I typed my Ruby and I'm not doing that again.
1: (laughs) That's funny. I had a similar feeling when I was playing with Crystal the other day. It's just a very different feeling to go write code with types again. It's so especially macros, like it is uh requires a different mindset than what I've gotten used to doing in Ruby over the years.
2: Yeah, it was it was interesting because I like TypeScript. I think I talked about this last week. So I went into it with a very open mind. And we had also talked about it on the podcast like either that day or the day after. So I was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try sorbet just to see see what's up, and it's not a tool. I think it's amazing that they were able to create it because of how dynamic Ruby is, but it's not something that I'm gonna probably use until. Well, I mean, I would definitely keep looking at it. I'm definitely gonna keep watching it, but where it's at right now, it's
0: not a tool that I plan to use. Fair enough. I also realized I left my mic on while I stood up to go on my dog on my room. Sorry about that. Um, anything else we want to chat through or we want to put a bow on it here? Oh yes. My
2: other thing real quick, this is not going to take long. I need you guys to tell me how and why this is a bad idea and dissuade me from doing this terrible thing. So excited. Oh yeah. So I've been having a, Issues recently at CodeFund because I'm very used to having a QA person come behind me and basically spot all the issues with my code. Or basically someone who is much more experienced with how the user is going to use the app and thus able to find bugs. Or maybe not necessarily bugs, but implementation details that should be added or should be removed that I have been that i wouldn't know because i'm not in the app using it so i've been struggling a little bit with that at code fund recently and my we've definitely we've talked as a team and I'm, we're like all right well we need to make sure we're doing more or we need to make sure we're defining like the scope or the the quote-unquote story or the task more um to help with this and making sure we do this and that and making sure we're testing. And I'm definitely learning more and more every time a bug comes up that I introduce, I definitely learn, okay, well in the future, and now I know that the user is going to use this, the app like this. And I know to look for that in the future. So the organizational aspect of this problem, we are definitely dealing with in a healthy and constructive way. But my terrible idea is sometimes I have, sometimes I forget You know, when you deploy to staging or because every time we use Heroku, every time we push the master master deploys to staging, and then you can promote to production essentially. But I always forget how many things are on staging that aren't on production. And I end up forgetting to test something occasionally that I needed to, which ends up breaking. So my terrible idea is that Heroku has the ability to, send deploy like a deploy hook when a deploy happens and they also tag the version of each like push to production so there's not a lot of stuff you can really do with the deploy hook like you can't set headers or anything so that kind of canceled out some of my simple ideas for doing this but basically what i want to do is when i promote to production it. Sends a webhook to a GitHub action, and I can't do this directly. I'm going to have to basically create either an inter- an intermediate app of some sort, or like just tool that basically every time you push to production, it sends a webhook to this uh, intermediary tool that then correctly creates a uh, web request to GitHub that then kicks off an action that tags the release on GitHub and then generates the change log. So then with that, every time we deploy to production, it tags production on Git or it tags that commit on GitHub. And there's a change log, a running change log, so that I know, okay, there, these are the unreleased things that have gotten added um, that haven't been pushed to production so that I'm less likely to maybe miss some things and i know there's other things i could do but i really want to do this thing and i don't it would be way easy github has this concept of a a repository dispatch i believe is what it's called it's basically you can send a web request to your repository it has to have a certain header in it And you can use that to then kick off an action to run some tasks but because you can't really configure the Heroku um, deploy hook I can't put in that header I need so I'm gonna have to like go an intermediary route to send it like that but that's my terrible idea and I know that thinking about what I just said it sounds kind of rambly but I am either looking for like advice basically on how to better user test the app or qa it almost or maybe <laughs> whether my idea to create a basically intermediary app that receives webhooks and sends webhooks then to Heroku to kick off or to GitHub to then kick off an action to run a changelog to build a changelog and then tag it with a release version is a terrible idea or not
1: um doesn't uh Heroku have like a release like a pre-release script you can write um, that it will execute if it's like in your repo. I think there's something like that because I just saw somebody that did a one of those that will run Rails DB migrate on every deploy. Um, you could probably use that and then use curl or something to make your request to GitHub. Um, that might work and. You know, that's the. it's an interesting problem because like if you aren't um, just the concept of like, you know, how do you QA an app that you're working on that you don't actually use? It's really hard because um, the people who are actually using the app are the ones that are going to be the ones finding things and, you know, you're not going to know or be aware of those things to worry about if you're not using the app. So that's one of the things that like, don't know maybe you have to have, figure out an excuse to use the product more somehow for a side project or something um that actually makes you a user of your own your own app um that could probably help just from you know forcing you to to pay attention to things a little bit more nuanced than just being a developer adding the feature that we were told to do um i know i did that a lot in consulting stuff where it's like, well, we built what you said, but, you know, cause I'm not using it and I'm not really thinking about uh, how it actually works. I just did what you asked for. Um, so that kind of thing would be the ideal. I know that, you know, on a related note, like GitHub, somebody at GitHub was talking about where they'll deploy to, I forget 10% of their user base Um, or servers or something. And then they will monitor for the next hour or something, the error rate. And if that was to go up, they can go and roll it back. And so they make sure that, you know, if you made a deploy recently, then you're responsible for monitoring that to make sure that you didn't introduce anything that breaks. Um, So that's maybe another, you know, kind of approach that you could do with easy rollbacks for that sort of thing. you know, don't make the announcement about the new feature or anything. Just like silently roll it out, see what happens. And if it's good, you can you know move on, but you can have sort of a silent rollout just to monitor things for a little while. That might be helpful.
2: And we do silent rollouts, and the problem is though, is they're not bugs. They're not creating because we use rollbar. We're not getting bugs. They're just implementation details basically that are wrong. And the problem is, and I know like this is definitely something I shouldn't be worried about. And Nate and Eric were definitely like, don't worry about this. But it's definitely uh, discouraging, especially when some of these bugs get surfaced with the implementation while Eric is showing the app to someone that we're trying to um like join us to help fund open source. And it's just kind of, it's discouraging, but I'm trying to ignore that because, you know, Nate had a very, Nate was like, dude, this is just like software has bugs. We fix the bugs. You can always fix the bug. And it's not the end of the world. It's not like we lost $10,000 in like an hour because of your bug. It's like, you know, this user had kind of a crappy experience and we had to fix it and that's okay. And that's expected, but it's definitely, It's becoming more, it's happened a few times very recently, more than it has in the past, just because I'm now doing some more intimate features that are modifying, you know, the way some users use the app. And it's just kind of frustrating to hear like, oh, I was on a call with this important company that we're trying to get to help us um, or help be an advertiser. And this massive bug that you introduced popped up and then I couldn't show them how to do this thing because of that.
1: Yeah. I wonder if you like, can you sit silently on those calls and just watch sometimes and kind of see how people are using it more just that way. It sounds to me like something that just gets better with experience. Like the more you understand how everyone's using the product over time, Is just going to help you write better stuff and predict what you need to do. Because it's not like they can tell you about these little tiny nuances when they delegate something to you as someone fairly new on the team. Those are things like my first job out of college, like got hired to work on genomics pipeline software. And like I didn't have, I had one biology class in high school and none in college. And so, you know, being on this team of, Basically, people who are programmers who also really knew um, biology well, I realized i'm I'm gonna have to spend the next like two years learning biology to be able to contribute as much as these guys um, can, you know, because I just simply don't know it. So those are probably things that just take some time as you learn the product and you know the whole experience that you're trying to build. Um, cause you know, that it's not really going to be something that can be easily transferred from one person to another, I feel like. So yeah, I don't know. It's a, that's an interesting problem for sure.
2: Yeah. And with time, of course, like this will get better and I'll figure out the way people are using it and we'll get better as a team at, you know, defining like, okay, it should work like this and we'll get better at defining like the scope of these, um, quote-unquote story we don't call them stories but you know basically these tasks that we're implementing but i uh i want it now (laughs) i want it right now i want the silver bullet and i know there isn't one but i would love it if there were
1: yeah and i wonder too if you could use screencasts internally a bit more to communicate you know those those stories and you know if someone's writing one like yeah, write it, but also like record a video and walk me through it, and then maybe you'll pick up on a little bit more of those nuances. Um, I worked with a guy a while ago that did. Uh, he he had people he outsourced work to, and he would just record videos and send it to them, and he like was ten times more productive than someone else that I knew that was like you know writing their stuff to the contractors. And he was just able to communicate way more in the videos. And you could see literally what he was pointing at with his mouse and, you know, explaining it. And it just felt way better than a screenshot mock-up or words, you know, on a a document somewhere. So maybe those little things could help too. Who knows? There's a lot of complexity to that problem.
2: Yeah, that's actually a great idea. And I'm just shout out to my team. I have an amazing team and I'm really blessed every day to work with them because if I told Eric or Nate, like, Hey, I'm struggling and it would be really helpful if you record a video of like the feature you want me to implement, like they would do it in a heartbeat and anything else I asked. So just quick shout out. I have a great team and I'm really lucky to work with the group of people I do. Jason, do you have a silver bullet for me waiting in your holster?
0: uh no i just have a hashtag blessed
2: <laughs> i'll take it
0: cool well fellas good to catch up um we will turn around and do this again next week
1: yeah sounds good sorry for the crackling i'll see if i can get that fixed before our next one
0: yeah if not it's all right i kind of I think I'll miss it if it goes away. So,
1: yeah, it's it's just part of me, and it's actually my voice crackles. <laughs> That's
2: really what it is. It's nice and reminiscent of an like a nice fire on an evening night.
1: Yeah. What? Wait until my voice turns into the dial-up sound, and then you guys will run.
2: Well, yeah, I'll be looking for a new home then. All right, we'll see you. See you. Bye.